Let me ask you to turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. Now, if I stood up here today and said to you, I am going to tell you how unsatisfying it is to be wealthy by the world's standards. Some of you would say, yeah, what, what qualifies you to tell us that how unsatisfying that particular thing is? Uh, some of you know me. Now, look, I'm not poor-mouthing it. Uh, we have always had what we have, have needed as we've served uh, various churches. But I will say that when our second child went to college, our fourth one is about to go to college, when our second one went to college, she got a scholarship from the school that she went to. It was called the Letty Pate Scholarship. We didn't even know what it was for, and so we looked up in uh, the college handbook what the Letty Pate Scholarship was, and it was a scholarship for needy Southern women. Much to my delight, I told Rachel, I told you we were needy, so. But I'm not going to be the authority on this today. We are going to listen to one who completely understood experientially what it, what it was to accumulate tremendous wealth by the world's standards, and that is Solomon, as we've been going through this book of Ecclesiastes. In 1 Kings 10, it talks about uh, a visit to Solomon from the queen of Sheba. Now, she was wealthy herself, but it said that when she looked at all of his prosperity, there was no breath left in her. In other words, it took her breath away when she saw the kind of wealth that he had, even compared to her own. Uh, Then it goes on to describe it. All of his drinking vessels were of gold in his household. The shields of his mighty men were made of gold. His throne was made of ivory overlaid with gold. It said that silver in Jerusalem was as common as stones. And it's estimated that his annual income, this was before tributes from other people that would come and and visit him and so on, his annual income uh, is estimated to be some $20 million. Now that was at that time. Add several thousand years of inflation. And you see unimaginable wealth. We're going to listen to what he has to say about what it's like to have accumulated that uh, from his own experience. But by way of illustration, I want us also to listen to a group that met together here in our own country about 90 years ago. It was a group of financiers what they called tycoons, a a group of people that newspapers uh, 
in that day had touted for some time in terms of uh, this is what our young people should strive to be like and to do in terms of wealth. Look at their achievements. They met at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. Their accumulated wealth altogether was more than was in the U.S. Treasury at that time. We'll hear from them later as well. For now, I want us to look at this text and listen to the Word of God. Now, you may say, well, it doesn't sound like much of a Father's Day message, and yet it is a message about priority. Is there a better message for those of us who are fathers as well as for the rest of us than right priority in this life? We read in Ecclesiastes 5, beginning with the 8th verse. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there is yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept uh, by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. And he came from his mother's womb. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil This is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we ask you to speak to us even as we have sung to renew our minds, to help us grasp the heights of your plans for us, 
we thank you for your word that applied in the day of Solomon that applies to us on Father's Day in South Carolina in 2011. Only you and your infinite wisdom could do that. And so we pray, Lord, that you would indeed apply it to our hearts, to our minds, to our wills. And then, Lord, help us to know that to conform to that is hopeless except by your grace and with your strength. Even as, Lord, we have heard testimony of this morning. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm formatting this sermon a little bit differently than we've been doing as we've been uh, trekking through the book of Ecclesiastes. Typically, what we have done is to take a passage and uh, Solomon will uh, talk about his own frustrations and ways he has tried to seek out uh, satisfaction in some way, and then he will come to the end of himself. But at least in the early parts of the book, there's not always an answer right there. Well, this passage is a, a little bit different in that way. We're about to get to the middle of the book. In fact, next week we will uh, just about come to a, a turning point uh, in the book itself. And what we have done is after we have seen the, that vanity and that emptiness is that we've backed up and we've said, okay, that's what life is like under the sun, but what, what's the word from above the sun? What's the truth for us that we need to be conformed to if there's going to be any satisfaction in our life? Well, today he begins to get at some answers in this particular area. And some of them are so parallel with the New Testament that I'm going to bring them into the points as we get to them. Uh, so um, we will move on through this passage as he starts out with these principles. Uh, uh, I've called it uh, money principles. But here's, here's the first thing, and, and I want you to remember, he's speaking from experience. He's not talking theoretically. He, he could say, look, this is what I did, and this is what I found, and here's my journal. Open it up read it, and learn from it. And the first thing we see in, in verse 10 is that money is not equivalent with satisfaction. Now, some of you might be saying, oh, good. Today, Dale's going to preach at the rich people. That's good. That leaves me out. Some of you are saying this in your mind. Well, here's the problem with that. It applies to all of us because... A love for money, a desire for money, is not unique to the wealthy. Now, he's going to be speaking from that angle, from one who did achieve it, who did what maybe some of you have as a goal and you have not yet achieved. And so, 
none of us is exempt from this emphasis. Money's not equivalent with satisfaction. Verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Now, you need to notice that that Solomon doesn't say the problem is possessions. He doesn't say the problem is money. He says the problem is loving those things. See, that's the difference there. We don't see having possessions or having been able to accumulate money anywhere condemned in the Scripture. Now, it can get in the way of knowing God. It can become an idol. All of those things, they can be negative. But what he's saying is, is look, if, if you love money, it's not going to love you back. You're not going to find what you're looking for in it. I saw a survey in USA Today. Now, it's been some years, so we could maybe inflate these numbers. But the survey uh, had the people saying, if I had eight to $10,000 more per year, I could live in comfort. Now, think about that for a moment. Could you use another eight to $10,000 a year? Some of you saying, well, that'd be perfect. That would give me just an, enough margin because we, we, uh, you know, we'd, we'd be okay if we had another eight to 10,000. The interesting thing about the survey was that it applied to all of the income brackets. It didn't matter whether you were poor. They said, yeah, eight to $10,000, then, then we could live in comfort. And the wealthy were saying, yeah, another eight to $10,000, that would, that would be good. You see the problem? John D. Rockefeller Sr. was asked, how much money does it take to satisfy a man? His answer, just a little bit more than he has. A little bit more than he has. That's confirmed in that survey. It's confirmed, first of all, by Solomon. He says, you know, it's a mirage. That eight to 10,000, or maybe in our day it would be 15 to 20,000. But it's a mirage. You'll get there and you'll still want another eight to 10 to 15 to 20,000. And you won't find what you're looking for. Solomon says it's toiling after the wind, chasing the wind. You know, you never catch the wind, do you? And then he emphasizes not only is it not the root of satisfaction. Verse 11 and 12, the more money one has, the more worries or hassle you'll have in your life. Verse 11, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. What advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer. Do you get that? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. 
Because there have been times in my life where I've thought this way as well. You're thinking, you know what? I'd be virtually worry-free if I just had more money. Think about all the things you worry about, and they're all related to money. Not enough. Or... And Solomon's saying, nah, that's, that's not the case. And he's, he's actually saying, look, the more of it that you accumulate, the more worry that comes along with it. Now, why did Solomon see it as a hassle? Well, as one grows wealthier, they find themselves surrounded by an entourage. <laughs> Maybe not literally. You know, if you're, we, we, when we were in Atlanta, uh, Evander Holyfield lived not far from our church. He literally had an entourage of people that were living off his last boxing match. And then sometimes they'd start going away because he was running out of money, believe it or not, even with all that he had. But the more money you get there, whether, whether it's a little literal entourage like that or not, there are more and more people that are making a living off of you making money off of you, whether it's management consultants or tax advisors, lawyers or household employees or sponging relatives or relatives you didn't know you had or whatever it is. So there's the worries. And then from his experience, he, Solomon's saying more money brings more anxiety. Anxiety whether this or that deal is going to pay off whether the employees are working or stealing. Anxiety over stocks and investments, whether they're rising or falling. You know, it occurred to me as, as I was writing this, there, there's whole sections of the newspaper that I don't even bother reading. I don't even care what's in there, you know, the financial sections, which some of you, that's probably the first thing you're tempted to go to to see what's going on there. Solomon's saying more money equals more people and more people equals more worries and more worries means less sleep. And he's speaking from experience. Now, what are the warnings here? The problem with wealth is, Solomon says, you, you either lose it or you leave it behind. Let the scripture speak for itself. Look in verse 13. There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. You know, the old adage, you don't see a U-Haul behind a hearse. You, you can't take it with you. I mean, that's, there's so many ways to say that. And everybody seems to know that. And yet, Solomon is saying that that's, that's the problem. You know, Job found that out when he lost everything. In the very first chapter of the book, 
He lost all, all of his children, his, his wealth, and all of those things. And he said this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Where was his focus? It was not on those things. Jesus spoke in those terms as well. It says in John 6, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man has given you. He said in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Have you ever been robbed? If you've ever been robbed, you know what a sick feeling that is. it's It's an invasion. They've come into my space and taken things that that were mine. And, And Solomon and Jesus says that's right. So why would your emphasis here be to accumulate when it's so easy to lose? do that. There is no satisfaction there. And then then he warns to those who love money, verse 16, this also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? There it is, the chasing after the wind or, or trying to work the wind. Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. The way the New Testament puts it is that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money. The love of money. Money's not evil. But it can be the root of all kinds of evil. I told you we'd go back to the Edgewater Beach Hotel 90 years ago the group of financiers. Newspapers and others were touting them as the example for our young people. Let me tell you the rest of their story. Charles Schwab, the president of the largest independent steel company that was there, he lived on borrowed money the last five years of his life, and he died penniless. Arthur Cutton, the greatest wheat speculator, died overseas insolvent. Richard Whitney, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, spent time in Sing Sing Prison. Albert Fall, a member of the president's cabinet, was pardoned from prison so he could die at home. And three more of those who attended that meeting took their own lives. All of those there had figured out how to accumulate wealth But many of them never found satisfaction. They never learned how to live. They had everything they needed but contentment. 
They were rich toward the world, but poor toward God. And that takes us to the above the sun perspective. Because this passage, unlike some others in uh, Ecclesiastes, this one says, look, there is a, a good way for us to look at these things in this life. In fact, he talks about there's a, a way for us to, to enjoy them, to be fulfilled and to have some contentment even in this life, even as we live under the sun. Look what he says in verse 18 about enjoyment. Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. See, he's saying it, it's not evil. You can enjoy it. Don't make it your love and your passion. Don't make it what you're seeking after. And then he talks about a fulfillment. Verse 19. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil this is a gift of God. So if, if God has given you the ability to gain wealth, it is a gift of God. There is a way, a right way, to enjoy it. And even contentment, verse 20. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There can be a contentment even in this life. Now, what kind of contentment? Most of the people in this room will not accumulate huge amounts of wealth. I love in Proverbs 30, verse 8 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. And here's why. In other words, just, Lord, will you give me what I, I need? Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? See, that's the temptation. If I get full and I think I don't need God anymore. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. See, either way, you're, you're forgetting about God and you're thinking it's all about me and what I have to get for myself instead of the provider. Now, you might say, okay, I'm, I'm convinced. I've, I've loved money too much or I'm, I'm striving too much after money. I'm going to stop doing that. Well, here's the problem. As much as you might mean that right now, we're not really good at changing ourselves. In fact, we can't change ourselves. You, you don't have any hope of finding this contentment and this enjoyment and this fulfillment, you don't have any hope of getting the right perspective on money unless 
your life is transformed by the power of Christ in you. It's only then, because only he has the absolute right view of everything on this earth. We need the transforming power of Christ. The most miserable, wealthy people I know are keeping most of it for themselves and their family. Jesus told a parable about them. Remember the one where, where the one just kept building bigger and bigger barns? It was very successful. His whole goal was to get more and more, and probably in a good sense, to protect his family. But then Jesus says, I will say, uh, or it says in the parable, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul's required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Do you see what Jesus is warning against? He's he's saying, look, all of these things that you're striving for, you, you will leave it behind at some point. And if your whole goal was that and you forget about God, then when that day and when that moment comes, when God says, now your soul is required of you, where will you be? It's about being rich toward God. Now, by contrast, the happiest wealthy people I know are those who are the most generous, who are giving to others, who are giving to the Lord, who are using their money in a way that would please God. I'm convinced it's because when God bestows wealth on his children, He also gives them the gift of giving. Over in Romans 12, it it talks about the various gifts, and one of them, it says, if giving, then give generously. So those who God has given the ability to accumulate wealth, he's done it for a reason, and then it's just a matter of whether you, you will use that gift of giving and be fulfilled in that. Those have learned to see money not as an end in itself, but as a means to serve Christ and to show gratitude. May the transforming power of Christ move us wherever we are in terms of what we've accumulated, whether it's little or nothing, or whether it is much. May the power of Christ transform our focus from being toward money to such a trust and focus on him that it changes our our whole perspective on material things. 
and, and enables us to experience a contentment and enjoyment and a fulfillment because of Christ in us. Let's bow together. Lord, as we said earlier, this is, it, it is a matter of priority. Will you, in each of our lives, in each of our families, show yourself to be our provider? Will you help us to see it's not about our striving? It's not about our accumulation. What really matters in the big picture, the picture that really matters, is whether we're rich toward you. Whether we are in relationship with you, Father, through Jesus Christ. We open our hearts first to that. And then let these other things be added unto us. We pray in Jesus' name.